a reading of God's word from Psalm 56. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and I am not afraid. But who can mere mortals, but what can mere mortals do to me? All day long they twist my words. All their schemes are in my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid, what can man do to me? I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us, that through it, Lord, you penetrate to our hearts and divide soul and spirit and marrow. And God, I just pray that you would speak today. I pray that we would be in a place where we can hear. And Lord, that you would convict and encourage and bring hope and life. And so we just commit this time to you, Lord. I'm available. I pray that you would use me. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Fear is arguably at the root of all of our spiritual problems. I heard that quote recently, and I pushed back against that in my mind. I thought, that can't be right. Seems like a major exaggeration to say fear is at the root of all of our problems. I mean, if you were going to say one thing is at the root of all of our problems in the spiritual life, wouldn't it be pride or apathy? But the person who made that statement went on to defend it, saying this, Fear is arguably at the root of all of our problems in the spiritual life. Why? Because the telos, or end, or goal, the telos of the spiritual journey is to become a person of love, as defined by Jesus. And it is written, there is no fear in love. And when he says it is written, he's referring to 1 John 4. I want to show you where he, he, he's getting that quote. 1 John 4, 18, For there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So John Mark Comer, he goes on and he says this to finish the quote. He says, As long as we need our life to go a certain way, we will, despite our best intentions, act in ways that are unloving 
toward anyone and anything that gets in our way. Fear is at the root of all unloving behavior and at the root of all sin. Now, I don't know how that lands for you. Some of you, you might be skeptical, as I was, and say, is that right? Others of you, you see the connection with 1 John 4, 18, and you say, oh, that, that might be true. But wherever you are, perhaps some of us in the room are thinking, well, good thing I really don't deal with fear all that much. The truth is, we all deal with fear, all of us. There is no one in the room who is unaffected by fear. Chip Dodd has a book called Voice of the Heart. It's, it's amazing. And, and he explores how God has given us feelings as a way to navigate life in a broken world. And his premise is, and I believe this to be true, that feelings are not bad. They just are. But how we respond to them can be. It can be good, bad, helpful, unhelpful, healthy, unhealthy. And this is borne out in the pages of, of Scripture. Anger is not bad. Jesus was angry. Ephesians 4 says, in your anger, do not sin. So anger is not bad, but if anger leads to rage or resentment, then it's bad. Sadness is not bad. Jesus, again, Jesus was sad. Half of the Psalms are laments, crying out to God in our grief and anguish. But if sadness, undealt with, becomes self-pity, well, that can be bad. And fear. Chip Dodd says, and I agree, that fear is not bad. Fear is part of what it means to be human. If you leave this service today and you're in the parking lot and somebody in the parking lot is not paying attention and they back up too fast, they're not looking in their mirrors, and their car gets really close to you, what you are going to feel is fear. Your nervous system will be flooded, and that feeling, that impulse is fear. And it's not bad. In fact, it's good in that sense. Fear is helpful. It, it, it helps us make wise decisions and protect us and protect others. But just like these other feelings, how we deal with fear can be unhealthy or destructive or sinful even. And Chip Dodd, he talks about the two main manifestations of fear. And this is where it's so helpful, and this might be a new perspective for some of us. One way that fear kind of gets distorted in our lives is through anxiety, where we just have this constant dread. There's this threat looming over us. It's not the car coming at us in the parking lot. It's anytime I go to a parking lot, I'm afraid, I'm anxious. So there's no immediate threat. It's just this diffuse feeling. That's anxiety. But another way that, that fear gets manifested in our lives is through rage and anger. Because underneath a lot of our anger and our reactivity and our need for control is fear. In fact, it's a refusal to feel fear. And I'm going to push it down and I'm going to be angry so I don't have to feel the vulnerability of my fear. And when you begin thinking about that, you think, wow, most of us in our daily lives, we, we tend to experience one of those two things, anxiety or anger. In our world today, I mean, is our culture not just drenched in fear when you think about it through that lens? Because again, it's not just about I'm anxious. I mean, anger and fear live together in the limbic part of the brain. So, some of us, it's so much easier to be angry than it is to be afraid. 
And our culture today, there is this anxious and angry energy radiating out through media and social media, through all of our political discourse, what drives many of our economic and business practices. Underneath all of it is fear. And we all deal with it. Fear that I'm going to be ignored or the group that I belong to is going to be ignored or misunderstood. Fear of what people are going to do to me or fear of what people are going to do to our country. Or maybe it's fear for my business or it's fear for my family. It's fear for my reputation. I'm going to be seen a certain way. Men and women, we all deal every day with fear. So the question is not, will we be afraid? The question is, what will we do when we're afraid? Many of us, again, we, we tend towards one or the other. We get overwhelmed by our fear. We over-identify with it. It feels like fear, anxiety just controls us. But there's others of us, again, that, that in our refusal to feel afraid, we push it down and we just are angry. So how can we chart a middle path? I mean, does one exist? Does the Bible have anything to say that can help us navigate fear in our world today? I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 56, if you have your Bible. Psalm 56. And as you're turning there, I want to give us a little context that will help us as we get into the psalm. Now, the heading of the psalm, it, it reads this, Psalm 56 for the director of music to the tune of A Dove on Distant Oaks. Does anybody know that song today? Is that familiar? None of us do, but apparently, evidently, this was a well-known song when David wrote this. So he said, sing this to the tune of A Dove of Distant Oaks. And then it says, a miktam, which is basically a literary term for a song, when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. So David is running from King Saul, running for his life, and he is so desperate, he goes to, the, to enemy territory, to the land of the Philistines, to the home of Goliath, the giant that he killed. And there in Gath, he is captured. And that is when he writes this. So a few things about David when he writes this psalm. He is alone, he is desperate, and he's afraid. And he jumps right into it in the, the first verse. He doesn't pull any punches. Look at the very first verse. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. Now that phrase, hot pursuit, it's, it's kind of a confusing phrase in Hebrew. So there's a lot of different translations. It literally means a man to trample me. But often in the Old Testament, like in the book of Job, we see that phrase interpreted as somebody panting, like after they've run a race. And that is what this translation I'm reading from, that's how they take this, and I think that's right, that, that my enemies are panting. They're running after me so hard that they're wearing themselves out. He goes on and he says, all day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. So there's this relentless pursuit of David. In their pride, many are attacking me. Again, this is not just Saul's army. This is the Philistines. He's, he's being attacked from all sides. So how will David respond? Verse three, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. We're going to slow down for a moment. I 
I believe this is the key verse of the psalm. It is 10 words in English. It's only six words in Hebrew, but it is packed with meaning and insight for us today. I want to make just two observations about this and apply it to our lives. First, David acknowledges his fear. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Notice David does not say, if I'm afraid. He says, when I am afraid. And notice, David does not say, I won't be afraid because I trust in you. No, he says, when I am afraid. David, he doesn't deny his fear. He doesn't minimize it and say, oh, it's not that bad. He doesn't over-spiritualize it. He says, I'm afraid. And this is where we need to understand that the Bible's teaching on the emotional life is not simple. It is nuanced. There are places, even in the psalm and other places in the Old Testament, where we we read things like, fear not, or I won't be afraid because I trust in you. But that can't mean that we don't deal with fear in our lives. And the reason I believe that so strongly is not only verses like Psalm 56.3, where David's, and this is David, this is the guy who killed Goliath, general of the army of Israel. He killed the lion and the bear. He says, I'm afraid. It's not only David, the whole Old Testament, we see men and women of faith dealing with fear. Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David. We see the New Testament, the disciples, the apostle Paul. They're all afraid. Jesus himself deals with fear. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is having a physiological response where he is sweating blood. And he's not doing that because he's sad. It's because he's scared. I believe Jesus is having a panic attack in light of what's going to happen to him. So we have to understand the Bible says fear not, and yet the Bible says we will be afraid. We live in a broken world. So then how are we to understand these passages that say fear not, or I won't be afraid because I trust in you? What I think the Bible is trying to communicate is when you are afraid, do not let that control you. As, as 2 Timothy 1 says, don't, you don't have a spirit of fear. I mean, understand, when you're afraid, you can respond to that in a way where it dominates your life and your heart. I think God is saying over and over again, don't do that. Don't let it control you. But we will have fear. And I make this point so plainly because I think sometimes... We over-spiritualize our emotional life and we say, because of our faith, it's like this magic pill I take, I don't have to be afraid. And that is not true. And so the first thing that we do, that this text invites us to do when we're afraid is to acknowledge it. Say, I'm scared. I'm afraid. And this is really tough because, you know, some of us, we grow up and we get so good at stuffing or minimizing our fear, we don't even know it. We don't even know we're afraid. We, we experience, we, we're so driven at work and we want to climb the ladder and get the corner office and get the promotion. But underneath that, if you drill down deep enough, for some of us, there's fear there. 
And the, fe the fear is if I stop hustling, if I don't get promoted, if I don't keep climbing, then maybe everybody will find out that I'm not enough. Some of us, we obsessively check stocks and our portfolio. And maybe you tell yourself you're just being wise or prudent or informed, but you're afraid. Because you are not in control of the market, and that terrifies you. And so you distract yourself by checking your phone and you feel some sense of control. Others of us, we, we get overly upset when our kids, you know, they, they don't perform well. Maybe it's on the soccer field or the report card, something happens. And usually, here's what I've learned, when there is disproportionate energy, it's usually about you. So we, we get overly upset at our kids. But what's behind that? Well, for many of us, again, what we're afraid of is if they don't perform, if they don't get into this school, if their life doesn't pan out a certain way, then I'll know that I don't have what it takes as a mom, as a dad, that I've failed. And we're scared. So the first thing we do, again, David models this when we're afraid, and we will be. We say, God, I'm afraid. We acknowledge it. But David doesn't just do that. David responds to his fear with faith. Again, David says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Pete Scazzaro, I love this. He, he says, we should treat our feelings, including fear, we should treat our feelings like kids on vacation. We don't stuff them in the trunk, but we don't let them drive either. And, you know, I think for many of us, again, we tend towards one or the other. There is a third way, and David models it. We respond to our fear with faith. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. God, this is bigger than me. Will you take it? And that is the essence of biblical faith. It's trust. I love what Elton Trueblood says. He says, faith is not belief at its core. It's not belief without evidence. Faith is trust without reservations. I love that. That's what faith is. And when we're afraid, listen, we have an opportunity to practice our faith. Some of, some of us don't want to hear this, but... But here's the truth based on this text, that when you are afraid, you have a gift. There is an opportunity for you to exercise your faith. And the ones of us in the room today who are the most fearful, you get the most opportunity to practice your faith. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this. I think this text teaches us that the gift of fear is faith. The gift of fear is faith. It is really hard to practice faith when you have no fear. When you feel like you're in control, it's butterflies and rainbows, everything's going fine, it's really hard to practice faith. But when you know you, you're out of control and you're afraid, what a great opportunity. And I want you to notice that David's trust is not in a certain outcome. He doesn't say, I trust in God that he will deliver me next Wednesday. I trust in you. God himself is the object of his trust and the source of his confidence. 
And I, I just want to say, too, I want, I, I want to mention that this in no way minimizes or diminishes the importance of medicine, of treatment for clinical anxiety, of therapy, of counseling. All of that is important. And there are wise men and women who, who help us navigate some of those issues and decisions. What I am saying, I think what the psalm is saying, is that spiritually, when you're afraid, however little, however big, when you are afraid, the invitation from God is to trust him. And will you do it? Will you trust? Now, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, why should I trust God? Why? I mean, why should David trust God? He's alone. He's desperate. His circumstances don't look like God is present and active. Why should you trust God? You know, some of you today, you don't feel like you're being chased by armies, but you feel like life's concerns are chasing you relentlessly. You feel stressed. What can give you the confidence to trust? Because, again, we're in church. So it's like, hey, trust God. Well, that's really hard, isn't it, sometimes? And that's why this psalm is so awesome. It, it goes on, and David gives us three reasons why we can trust God when we're afraid. And these are reasons why you today, whatever you're afraid of, these are reasons why you can trust God. The first reason we see in the text is that God is on my side this is why David can trust God. He believed that God is on my side. Verse 4, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, and am not afraid. What can mortals do to me? Now, I don't, I don't know about you. When I read that, I think a lot. Like, David, like, they can do a lot to you. They can kill you. They can torture you. They can ruin your reputation. But David is unflappable here. He says, what can mortal men do to me? And it's because he believed that God was on his side. When I, when I was a summer staffer in college at a camp called Pine Cove in Texas, I got recruited to be in skits and different skit videos. And one summer, somebody had the hilarious idea. They thought it was hilarious. For me and another summer staffer to dress up in the middle of the night like clowns and to go into some of these camper cabins and wake them up and get their reaction. And he wasn't someone who had to do it. you know. But it was like, hey, you guys do this. This will be really funny. So we did it. I mean, set our alarm for 3 in the morning, got up, put on clown makeup. Like, this was what I did. And then went in to these cabins, and we'd, we'd go in. It was completely dark. And then we go, three, two, one. We'd hit the light and blow air horns <laughs> and start screaming, like, woohoo! And just, I mean, you could never do this today, right? You'd be like, there's like a million lawsuits, I feel like. But this is what we did. And, you know, we, we got some hilarious videos. And I still have them um, <laughs> to prove it. But after the first couple of weeks, listen, it, it was miserable. I mean, it wasn't fun anymore. It was like, oh my gosh, tonight I got to be a clown, you know? And then like you get done and you're trying to get the makeup off. Anyway, so one day after we did this, I ran into one of the campers uh, at, at the camp and he's a high schooler and he's ticked off. And he's like, I know it was you. You are the one who woke me. And I wanted to say to him, dude, it's way worse to be me 
than you. Like, you were awake for 10 minutes. I was awake for two hours, you know, but I just listened. He's like, I'm upset. And, you know, I could have taken this kid. You know, I could have. But, but, but he, was, he was agitated. He was threatening me. And I'll never forget because I was down at the dock at this camp. And the summer staffer who worked down at the dock who was in charge of it, we called him the dock daddy. His camp name was Walk and Woe. And Walk and Woe was six foot five, built like a brick house, just a massive specimen of a man. And he's down there, and he hears this kid jawing at me. And I'll never forget, Walk and Woe, he comes up behind me, and he puts his hands on my shoulders, and he's like a head above me, puts his hands on my shoulders, and he leans over, and he says to this kid, if you mess with him, you're messing with me, and I don't think you want to do that. <laughs> and I never heard from that kid again. <laughs> now, in that moment, when he said that, hands on my shoulders, you mess with him, you're messing with me, I, I relaxed. And again, I could have taken this kid, but, <laughs> you know, I felt at ease why? Because I knew he had my back. You see, David in Psalm 56, he knows that God has his back. And so he's able to be at peace and, and, and trust. Do you know today that God has your back? Do you know that, that he's on your side? Not only did God create you, not only is he the judge of all the earth, verse 7 says. I mean, in David's mind, he's thinking, the, the judge of the nations, the God of the universe is on my side. Not only can we say that, but we know something David didn't know. That God loved us so much that he put on skin and Jesus came and died in our place. And that even today, to this day, today, Jesus is praying for you. Did you know that? Hebrews 7 Verse 25, it says, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is praying for you. God is on your side. I love what Andrew or Robert Murray McShane says. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Do you know this today? Do you believe that, that God is on your side? See, that's why we can trust. This text is saying, remember, God is on your side. Secondly, we can trust because God knows my distress. This is what David believed. Look at verse 8. David, he says, record my misery. Now, that word for misery, it, it, it's, a, it's kind of a funny word, but it comes from the root word, which means to wander. David's saying, record my wanderings, my, my tossings, some translations will say. The things that you toss and turn about as you lie awake in bed. David says, record those things. The next phrase is even more intimate. He says, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Now, when it says scroll here, the, the, the literal word there is wineskin. And so some translations will say, put my tears in your wineskin or put my tears in your bottle. God, put my tears in your bottle. You know, it's fascinating. There was an 
ancient practice, and we know this through archaeology, but in Eastern cultures, there's an ancient practice of mourners putting their tears in small bottles and burying them with the person that they love who died. They would, they would collect their tears and put them at the graveside. Now, people collect what is valuable to them. What did you collect? I collected basketball cards, and then I collected pogs. Does anybody remember pogs in the room today? Okay, like two, two of you, yes. What does God collect? What's valuable to God? Your tears. I should just think about that for a moment. How staggering is that? God knows whatever you're afraid of, your experience, your grief, your sadness, loss, he is intimately aware. Do you know today that God knows your distress? In fact, there is no distress. There is no fear that God is not aware of this morning. So David, he recognizes this and he says, God, I can trust you. I can trust you. And what's fascinating to me, you know, the next verse, verse 9, it says, Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. And the reason that is interesting to me is David is talking about his tossings, his tears, and he says, God sees this and God will respond, and by this I know that he is with me. And why that is striking is because for many of us, how many of us, Our tears and tossings make us believe that God is not with us. Or do you struggle with that at all? Like, God, are you, if you are in my corner, how would you allow this to happen to me or to my daughter, to my family? But for David, it's the exact opposite. My tears and tossings, they're a source of confidence for him. How? Because this is is David's theology here. If God is good and God is God and God sees my brokenness, then he's going to do something about it in his way and in his timing. And I can trust him. Do you know today that God knows your distress? And the third reason for trust, that we can trust God in our fear, is that God has been faithful in the past. God has been faithful in the past. You know, in in this psalm, David, he, he references the word, word, three different times. The, God's word, he, he says in verse four and then in verse 10, David, he says, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. Now, what does that mean when David is referencing the word of God? Because he didn't have a Bible like we do. What's he talking about there? Well, some scholars believe that David is referencing Samuel's anointing of King David. That, hey, you're gonna be the king one day. And so that David is calling back to that and saying, God, that was your word over me. But but other interpreters, and I take this view based on the, the text, is that what David is referencing here is the Hebrew scriptures. It's, it, he, he's referencing the same thing in the Psalms. He says, I love, I love your Torah, I love your law. It's, it's the first five books of the Bible. It's God's demonstration of his faithfulness to his people throughout history. David says, your word that I praise, 
That is what I'm talking about. In in this psalm, whenever David talks about his word, he he almost automatically says, God, in you I trust. It's like this reflexive response. David looks at God's word, and then he trusts. He says, in you I trust. In your word I praise, in you I trust. Now, the reason that's significant and the reason it matters for you is that for David, his confidence was not based on his present circumstances, but it was on God's past faithfulness. Story I heard years ago, and maybe you've heard me tell it, was about a family that used to make Ebenezer's out of moments of God's faithfulness in their lives. They would, they, would, they would experience something, they would see God at work, and they would take a stone, and they would just write a word or two on that stone to represent, this is a time in my life when God was faithful, over years. And they, they kept these stones in a jar. And then one day, the father in the family finds out he has cancer. And he's leveled, and the, the family is leveled, understandably. And in one of those days, soon after the diagnosis, he, as a family, they gather, and he takes the, the jar, and he pours it out on the floor. And one by one, they take these stones, and they just remember, and they tell the story. This is when God was faithful. In a sense, this is what David is doing. He is rehearsing God's faithfulness in his word. Even though David can't see it, he can't see it. But he says, I know it's true. And so confident is David that he says this. This is fascinating. David, he says, I'm under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you, which is a form of sacrifice. Verse 13, for you have delivered me. Past tense, you have delivered me. My feet from death, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. David is so sure that he is going to be rescued by God that he's talking about as if it already happened. He's planning, when I get back to Israel, this is what I'm going to do. This is like a sports team, you know, having the parade before the season. It doesn't make any sense, but David is so sure of God's faithfulness that he's banking on it. In his head, it's already as good as done. Do you know today that God has demonstrated his faithfulness to you? I I love what Jen Wilkins says. Um, She says this. She says, the antidote to anxiety about the future is not to discern the future, but to remember the past. Instead of straining your gaze forward, look over your shoulder and rehearse God's faithfulness to you and to all generations. What would that look like for you today? to look over your shoulder, to pour out your stones, to remember. And some of you today are saying, I don't have any stones. I mean, you know, maybe you feel like your experience with God and in life has been so difficult and painful. And you look back and you say, God, I don't know where you've been active in my past. And I I understand that. Life can bring us to that place. But I want you to know that that, that all of us today, we have one stone that is the biggest stone in the jar that we can today pour out, and that is what God has done for us in Christ. All of us, that is the statement about your value to God, that Jesus was, he came from heaven to be born in the dirt. And 
He died on a cross. Why? To reconcile you to him forever. That is true. And, and I love what John says in 1 John. He says, that is how we know that God loves us. It's not our current circumstances. It's not our feelings. It's what God has done in Christ. So again, wherever you're at today, I'm confident all of us, we can look back over our shoulder and say, God, you've been faithful. And in light of that, I can trust you with my present fears, my anxiety. I, I can trust you because I know who you are. So how, how will we deal with our fear? I think this text is telling us today that the gift of fear is faith. And God is inviting us when we're afraid to trust him. King Saul in the Old Testament has fascinating similarities to, to David, Saul and David. Both of them were warriors. Both, both of them were anointed to be king. Both of them were afraid throughout their lives. But whereas David trusted God, Saul did not. Saul, King Saul, he did not let go. He grasped for control, and his life was marked by anxiety and anger. How is his legacy? See, fear comes to us all. The question, again, is what will we do with it? How will we respond? David, Psalm 56, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. A few years ago, I was in a counselor's office, and I was talking to him about anxiety and struggling with anxiety, and I still struggle with that. And I was talking to him, and I said, you know, life just feels like a roller coaster, I feel like I'm just, you know, constantly up and down and just so difficult. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, you know, Matt, roller coasters are a little bit easier when you let go of the handlebars. In other words, quit holding on so tight. Loosen your grip. Trust. What would that look like for you today? And maybe it's just in one area of your life where if you're honest, and maybe your spouse doesn't even know about it, but there's, there's one part of your life right now where you are anxious or you're angry because this is not what you planned. In that place, what would it look like for you to open up your hands? And not just because you're supposed to let go, but because God is trustworthy you say, I'm releasing this to him. You're not just giving up control. You're saying, I trust in him. Where would that be in your life? And the reason why, for all of us today, the reason why we can take our hands off our life and trust God is because Jesus took his hands off of his life. Again, God loved you so much that Jesus Christ took his hands off his life he was broken. So now, how can we not, in view of that, say, God, we trust you? We're going to take our hands off of our life and say, God, we trust you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Will you pray with me? And I, I want to invite you, if, if you feel comfortable as we pray, just to put your, your palms facing up. And you don't have to hold your hands out or, 
lift them up even. You can just have your hands on your knees or by your side, but if you're comfortable, just open up your hands as a posture, just a, a way to express your desire to trust God, surrender. Lord, we, we open our hands to you, and this is just a posture, but we pray that it would reflect the reality of our hearts that with all of our life, but, but especially the places where we're afraid that we would surrender to you. And God, our faith is weak. In many ways, we're like the man in Mark 9 today who said, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Would you help that to be the prayer of our hearts today? Help us, God, to overcome our unbelief, to trust. And ultimately, again, God, we trust you because you are trustworthy. That's who you are. It's not that our lives always pan out the way we expect. Our confidence is in you. So God, we open our hands to you today. We pray this in Jesus' name.